State Senator Josh Miller, welcome back to the Publix Radio. Well, thanks for having me. It looks like this is going to be the year when Rodan is going to legalize recreational marijuana, also known as cannabis. Some people celebrate this fact. They say momentum is on the side of legalization and believe this will help unwind some of the negative effects of the long-running war on drugs. There's still some people in law enforcement who warn of unintended consequences and who call cannabis or marijuana a dangerous drug that will hurt public safety and public health. As the Senate sponsor of the legalization bill, what does your examination of the experience in other states that have legalized marijuana tell you about how the negative consequences will compare with the positive effects of legalization? Well, I think we've reach a threshold of marijuana use, both in Rhode Island and elsewhere. And so we have to deal with the different levels of whether, whether or not you perceive them as dangerous or otherwise of marijuana use, whether you have a black market, a medicinal market, or a retail market. And so I see it as extending the advantages to having a retail market in Rhode Island, whether it's revenue or testing, which makes sure you have a safe product, or resources for law enforcement to battle what they're currently battling. The legalization proposal calls for 33 licenses. Nine of those would go to so-called compassion centers. 24 licenses would be distributed in six zones around the state. And in each of those six zones, one license would go for a worker-owned cooperative and one would go for a so-called social equity license meant to help people who lack the big bucks that have been necessary to get into the medical marijuana business in Rhode Island up to this point. Does this go far enough, in your view, in helping to create a more level playing field for people who have borne the punitive effects of the war on drugs to be able to have an opportunity to take part in the marijuana business? I think it's one of the ways we're leveling the playing field. There's other components of the legislation that levels the playing field. But starting off with a fund funded by the hybrid fees that will go into um, the nine licenses that are compassion centers, either the three that exist or the six that won it on a lottery, sets up a fund with more than a million dollars to subsidize assisting people with the social equity and the co-op licenses. And I think that's a great start. And uh, going forward indefinitely, licensing fees will also support those efforts and will keep uh, revenue for potentially future licenses to do the same. As written, the legislation would require people who have been convicted of possession-related marijuana crimes in the past to seeking expungement. Some advocates say that the state should automatically expunge these past convictions for possession, possibly some other marijuana-related charges. What do you say to that concern? Yeah, I think we're committed to as automatic as Rhode Island law will, will allow and what the Rhode Island courts and the attorney general say they can do. We've heard a lot of good ideas through the hearing process, and I think we look forward to try to incorporate them and to challenge what the courts and what and the AG and what they can do based on the testimony we've heard. I'm committed to having that. As I said earlier, we have other components other than having social equity licenses. This is one of the other more important components, and I see 
making automatic expungement for those with his, historical marijuana convictions has to be done as uh, equitable as possible. And we've heard a lot of good ideas through the hearing process towards that. The legalization bill, as written, would enable Rodan communities to vote to not allow a marijuana or cannabis shop in their community by a vote of the residents of that city or town. Why was the bill written in such a way that communities have to opt out rather than opt in for that? I think historically we looked at Mass and other neighboring states and what the uh, consensus was, and there's been polling based on this for at least a decade. It's indicated by all that work that most communities want it. And so it's just a matter of what's the easier process to have what will be a few out of 39 communities to opt out or have everybody start a process that they're all not necessarily interested in. So I think it's a matter of we expect that fewer communities would be interested, therefore opt-out would be more efficient. Governor Dan McKee's administration uh, does not like the way the legislature is proposing a new cannabis control commission that would be in charge of distributing licenses. His administration says this violates the concept of separation of powers. Do you think the legislature should ask the state Supreme Judicial Court for an advisory opinion on whether the legislation as written uh, is a separation of powers problem? I don't think we need a court to chime in on this. The court already has chimed in on on this, and we modeled it after what the court chimed in on, and I think it was CRMC about uh, seven or eight years ago. So we think that that court component has already been done, and we j- designed the legislation based on that decision. We have been sitting down with not only the House to get an identical bill, but also the governor's office on a regular basis since last session. And uh, we will continue to do that to, uh, to see if there's something we have to write differently than what's presented currently. There is a lot of money to be made in the marijuana business. So if this Cannabis Control Commission moves forward and is the body responsible for handing out licenses, how will political influence be separated from that process? Well, it's part of it is, is exactly what we just talked about, is to have it, uh, the, those who are involved in the commission and those who are part of the advisory to the commission uh, represent a wide range of expertise and um, opinion on this and um, not have it be politicians and not have it be administrators. That's why we believe so strongly um, for a long time on the Senate side that it be a commission, that the commission be separate that policy isn't for any one administration who runs a DBR to be involved in directly. DBR is the State Department of Business Regulation. Right, and they currently run the uh, medical program. They're very good administrators, and they're very good at what they do, but they're not necessarily, or should they be, those who make policy around it. One more marijuana question for you, State Senator Josh Miller, before we move on to some other issues. If this legalization moves forward as planned in October, how do you anticipate that police will address the issue of driving under the influence given the difficulty of testing people for marijuana use uh, in the spur of the moment? Yeah, so where we started was um, what we learned from other states. And what we learned from other states is that it's not the overwhelming issue. 
and they have come up with ways to deal with it. And what a regulatory structure gives them is revenue to deal with it more intensely and to keep up with the science on it. You were first elected to the state Senate in 2006. The head of the Rhode Island Black Lives Matter PAC, Harrison Tuttle, told the Cranston Herald that a couple of months after he announced his intention to run for the legislature this year, possibly against you, his street was what he called surgically removed from your Senate district during redistricting. Does this show how redistricting functions largely as a effort to protect legislative incumbents? No, not at all. Um, as I've talked to him directly, uh, mostly about marijuana policy, but a little bit to get him to understand where I was at on all of the redistricting process, is that there's no way that I had any influence or anybody I know had any influence on specifically redistricting anybody out, including him, because I didn't know where he lived, and I still don't know where he lived. And the only part that became part of redistricting and why there's part of my previous Cranston footprint now with a Warwick senator is because I, was, I stood very seriously around leaving Patuxent Village and Edgewood Hole, and I knew that they were going to have to give some of Cranston to Warwick based on census. And so I stuck kind of strong on keeping uh, Patuxent Village whole, and therefore they had to go elsewhere in Cranston in order to give the Warwick district some of Cranston. Senator Miller, who are you supporting in the race for governor this year? Um, I'm still waiting to see how policy is developed around the serious policy developed around the three or four major Democratic candidates. And how about in the second congressional district race? Uh, Same thing. Um, I think, you know, we've seen some fluctuation right now on who uh, is in or out of the race on any given moment. I think we might see new people or some people who are presently in it, uh, no longer in it. So I think I'll make my decision closer to who's in and who's out rather than right now. You are chairman of the Senate Health and Human Services Committee, so I'll close with a couple of questions on health care. Uh, Attorney General Peter Narona has said that Rhode Island is marked by a lack of long-term thinking on its hospital strategy and that instead things happen on a transaction-by-transaction basis. Do you agree with that view? Yeah, I do totally. Not only around hospital policy, but also around health care policy. We're currently Uh, finishing up a commission that is looking at the Executive Office of Health and Human Services. And there are, you know, about six or seven departments under that, including Medicaid. And we're looking at that structure and to add some health policy, which would include hospital policy, uh, revising the EOHHS structure, which is about 15 years old now, to hopefully solve some of those issues. If Rodan needs a long-term hospital strategy concerning how hospitals are critically important as economic drivers and for caring for people, who should bear the responsibility for doing that? I think it should still be a collective effort between those who are experts in Department of Health and those who um, have the Attorney General's kind of role in this. I think it's very important post-pandemic to um, understand the communities that were underserved and that the first priority of a newer revised hospital system is to figure out how to better serve 
those communities based on the demographics that uh, became really clear on not only what people, but what communities were underserved throughout the pandemic, and I would start there. Finally, in addition to being a state senator, you are a small business owner. You own the Hot Club and Trinity Brewhouse. The hospitality industry has really taken it on the chin during the pandemic. Now that things are a little bit better, how do you see the outlook moving forward? Um, the outlook moving forward is it's exciting how we're rebounding, but it's, it's, it's not equal. Uh, those who got uh, Restaurant Recovery Act money are in a much better position than those who have not. Um, the latest small grant that the state made available recognized that and made it available only to those who didn't receive recovery funds. But it's still a huge hurdle, um, you know, two years to make up for those who were harmed, especially downtown, where they're not back in the office yet, even now, and where events are not totally geared up. Um, is going to take a longer effort than other parts of the state. State Senator Josh Miller, a Democrat from Cranston, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. As usual, you can find a lot more on our website at thepublicsradio.org. I'm Ian Donis.